Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Bonjour to Le Monde and welcome to another episode of IRC Book Club. Today we are on episode 106, the third part of our odyssey that has been coaching winning sales teams by Pickford, Smith and Chapman or Chapman, Smith, Pickford. Have you been getting on with it, Mike? Um, so I'll tell you what I think about the book is it's just too wordy for me, but there's some quite good stuff in it. But that you know, it's just too wordy. It's too theoretical. There's not a model. So if you're the kind of person that wants to pick up a book that gives you a model, this isn't your book. Really? If you're the kind of, you're the kind of person that sits there and wants to just think about different research and stuff, it's excellently researched. No doubt about it. I think it gets a lot more practical towards the business end of the book. Good for you. Much more practical, much more about frameworks for coaching and things you could actually palpably use as a coach. Do you, have you not picked up on that? Um, I mean, it has got more so, but it's hardly a manual. You, so you're, we've talked about this. I think you're much more of a fan of that Keith Rosen... Right, I'll tell you what I'm a fan of, and it says it somewhere in the book, is most coaches, rather than managers, most coaches just ask you a load of questions. And I can't remember what chapter it is in this book that we're going to read, but it'll come up because it's in this section. And actually, they just ask, ask questions to find the answers that you want. Ask questions to find the answers that you want. That's where you can have a really open conversation. That is one of the most conceited things I've ever heard in any form of coaching. Because actually, what the coach is doing is just asking questions to get to the answer that they want. So rather than bugger about and waste everybody's time, why don't you tell them what you want? And that's sort of what this book's about, really. It's like, yeah, I'm not bothered about some quote from some guy who's at Northern Ballet. Why would I care? I don't care. I think that's how you receive I think I'm very representative of salespeople, though, Johnny. I think I'm more representative of salespeople than the people that wrote this book. One of them has something to do with rugby. The other two have spent their careers at Vodafone. Mm. I think there's different strokes for different folks. I think some people want to be told, don't they? They just I mean, want somebody... These guys are coming on the show, which is going to be great. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, who's this book going to appeal to? It's going to appeal to people who work at the following companies. SAP. IBM, BT, Fujitsu joined when it was ICL. HP joined when it was deck. <laughs> but do you That's not think, for example, we're de- you're dealing with a client at the moment. Who's the AI a- company I'm dealing with, he would th- he would just jettison that. What, this book? Yeah, no chance. No Why? chance to read it. Because he, is, he lives in the modern world, and the modern world is one of quick data transfer with loads of layers thinning out the information that's important to us. You know, you go on a lot, actually, about the Google data bubble. Yes, the filter bubble. Filter bubble. That book is not a filter bubble book. That is the whole internet, and you've got to read all of it to get the information that you want. 
if that is you, that's a good book for you. Price is not feeling the love, are you, Pricey? Listen, I'm trying to be f- perfectly fair about it. In a lot of respect, it's a fairly good book. It's just not one that I would read. And I can tell you about the clients in my diary that I deal with. I mean, let's be fair, Johnny, I'm pretty brusque with the clients. I'm like the Ernest Hemingway of IT sales recruitment. Do you want to see my candidate? Yes or no? I'm not into how are you or any of that nonsense. So maybe, you know, your clients in healthcare, they might be a bit more interested in it. In healthcare? No, they won't be remotely interested in this book in healthcare because they don't believe in selling. All right. <laughs> okay. They, they, they have no respect for the craft, the healthcare companies. Or most, or, no, it's unfair. I would say 90% of companies in healthcare, 70%, 70 to 90% of companies in the healthcare space just don't have any respect for the craft at all. Fine, but some fellow at Evis who used to work at Fujitsu would like this book. No, because they don't believe in the craft, so they don't care about coaching salespeople. Be interesting, that wouldn't it, to find out. Who knows? You know, but they don't, by, they by, have... by vertical. I, I would the say, most sales training. I, I would say very few companies, and the more, the, particularly the more modern companies in healthcare, these new app driven startup sexy companies like Meadowpad. Um, all these sort of VC-backed, supposed, soon-to-be unicorn tech companies in healthcare, they don't respect the craft at all. Right, best we talk about the book rather than rather than alienating all <laughs> your prospect pace. Well, I'm not going to alienate them because I don't do business with them. So what chapters are we on today? I think we were on... Seven we're starting on. Seven, eight, and nine. So I'm looking at my notes here from chapter seven. And what they're doing in these chapters is we're getting into some nitty-gritty of coaching, aren't we? I mean, I do agree with your point. There's some models and stuff. Yeah. I think there's there's quite a lot of useful stuff. So the first thing they're talking about is the coaching relationship. And they talk about um, different behaviors in the coaching relationship, those being relationship, rhythm and timing, coaching the individual and the team, creating an environment for success, and coaching against resistant coaches. Um, and I think that's quite a, a quite a useful set of things to talk about. So the first bit is they talk about the relationship. They so talk let's, about let's just take a step back on this model. I'll happily go into it with you. Yeah. But let's say you're an you're an MD, right? You're the managing director of you know Billbox Software Company, twenty million pound software company, and you're going to hire a sales leader of some kind. So I, so you know I've got a sales leader's job at the minute. Yeah. Thirty five million pound software company managing a team of eleven. Yeah. If you were that man, let's say he's called Bill, and Bill said, I tell you what, Mike, we're going to go through a bit of change. I don't want to lose any of the salespeople. I want to coach them. I'd say, right, oh, Bill. And you say, these are the nine facets that make up a good coach. Do you you actually believe that they're the facets that make up a good coach in our market? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I don't think it's... I think you're being unfair about it. I've not been unfair. I'm asking you a question. Saying, do you think that they are the best bits of being a coach? So, for example, so this is a real job at the minute. Sales leader, 11 salespeople. There's the nine facets. Nowhere on that and those facets does it say um, have been a good salesperson individually themselves. Why do they have to have been? 
because I think that's an instrumental part of how you give coaching. I think having been there, seen it, done it, and be able to pass on your virtue and your experience is a really important thing. Now you're going to the book. Towards... To be fair to to be fair, Mike, and to be fair to the book, they have covered that in a lot of detail. And what the point they made is a lot of the best coaches often aren't necessarily the greatest athletes. Yeah, they have, they have, they have. I know. Yeah, but I, I, I think I'll, personally it should be in there. And more often than not, Mike, one of the things I've seen as a sports fan and particularly as a rugby league fan is often the really, really great players are often dreadful coaches. That might be the case, but our client roster isn't a sports team, they're IT salespeople. Yes, but often the best salespeople are dreadful managers. Dreadful. And I, I completely refute that. Yeah, but often the good managers have been good salespeople. I don't agree. You know? No, I often find that the really, really super talented salespeople usually tend to make dreadful managers. Because actually, the problem with selling is you never hang up your boots. Yeah, I do. I, I get that. There's, there's a never a moment where you say, oh, I'm too old, I'm too slow, time to hang, time to hang up my laptop. There's never that moment. So you take somebody out of front line and put them in a management job. I bet you if we did a survey and did research of hyper-talented, high, high performers moving into management, most of them actually manage by just doing, being, what does Keith Rosen call it? Chief problem solver. Maybe, but let's look at Tim Chapman, one of the authors of the book. So I'm looking at him on LinkedIn now. Sales guy, seven years. Sales guy, three years. Sales guy, two years sales guy seven years then moved into management yeah so that's exactly what he did he was obviously a good sales guy yeah he obviously had a good track record but he might not have been the most stellar looks like he was anyway you want to talk about these nine parts so let's have a talk about these nine parts and they have to be fair mike they have covered that earlier on in the book they talked yeah, extensively they about do great salespeople make great leaders yeah, I, I listen, I, I'm, uh, I'm giving my opinion. It's different to theirs. theirs. Mine isn't based on research. but Okay. So they talk about coaching the person first. I, I did say, have we not already covered this? So I, I did feel like these chapters, we were going over some old ground. And I, okay. I, I, I actually found it hard to distinguish between where I was and where I've been reading. Um, they talk about who are they outside of work? Get to know the person at work. Where's the person in terms of professional development? I have positives and negatives with this. In a true coaching culture, that's great. And it's great getting really close, building real relationships with team members. You and I have done it and you and I have been there and you and I know how unscalable that is. Yes, it is unscalable. That's my issue with it. Now it's scalable if you've got multiple managers and multiple teams. But actually having really high quality manager, leader, salesperson, coaching relationships, I don't think is a scalable thing. Now, if you're a small business and you're saying, I know you've got a client at the moment, he's just finished a management job, what are they, three, four million pound turnover? They're yep. not that yep. focused on scale. He just He wants somebody to manage, lead and keep the lights on and keep the profit coming in. Until such that, point yeah, that he, for no one to leave. Actually. Until such point that he flogs the business as a going concern and retires. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that, uh, you know, and he's putting his money in his pension, and he'll flog the business as going concern in a few years and go and sit on the beach. Yeah, but that's an environment where somebody can really get to know the people, isn't it? Listen, I agree with you, Jonathan. I, 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 I um, 
You're absolutely 100% right as far as I'm concerned. I, I think getting to know people out of work and stuff like that is is A, unscalable, and B, just unnecessary. It's, ne- it, it's necessary on dependent on the need, but like I say, I just don't... If we were to start hiring lots more salespeople tomorrow, Mike, the, I would look back on mistakes I've made in my, in my own career, in your own career, in our own careers together, and I'd think, am I really going to get that down in the weeds with the people we recruit this time round? And the answer would be categorically not. And I, would, I don't think the modern, I don't think the modern software sales companies do. No, I think they give you a playbook and you follow it. I would create a good playbook. I would create a decent and conducive environment. I would make it supportive, um, and I would ensure that people got support as and when they needed it, and that there was somebody they could come to. But I wouldn't be as proactive on looking at the team and thinking, how can I get this one right? And how can I, oh, right, this guy's a middle performer. If I spend lots of time with him, he'll, he'll perform. It's a bad use of time I agree, for, a, yeah. for, for an owner manager of a business. Now, if actually your only job is to coach salespeople, fair enough. But what actually, I don't think most sales leaders solely carry the job of coaching salespeople. No, They're no, involved no. in a lot of other things in their businesses. And actually, coaching is monumentally time-consuming. What do you make of this page, 157, the virtual practice field? I wrote, I don't believe there is one company in the UK where that takes place. I, well, I didn't write that. But and I, I put, I, if I, they I, I do... I don't think senior guys are going to do that. I also put, if there is a virtual practice field taking place somewhere, we probably don't know about them because they're probably that elite an environment they don't hire salespeople. Yeah, fair comment. What do you make of page 162... I thought this was absolutely spot on, actually. Uh, understand the range of abilities in the team. Go on, tell me more about that. Uh, uh, in what He's context? He's just talking about, uh, you know, so coaching the individual and the team. So he says, start with the individual. Then he goes on, or she, or whoever wrote this bit, to understanding the range of abilities in the team. Yeah. So, something that, so, so this... So and they talk should... about the best benefit of coaching is with the middle performers. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important, that. Because I've, I've seen different environments. So we had one client, I can't remember it was now, who gave most of his uh, sales training to the top performer. Yeah. And he said, well, the top performer sells most, so why don't I just make them better? I've come across other environments where they try and get everybody to the same line. So they say, I'm going to just coach my weak ones and get them up to the, you know, the bar of acceptability. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, I think when you look at the range of abilities in the team, I think that's really important. Because I think you can have some people particularly when you look at the diversity between new business and account management, who are just out and out new business guys, and you should focus them on one thing. Some people are more suited to account management and focus them on that. Yeah. And, and actually, I think when you're looking at the team, that's how the, the team collective impacts the individual. Because I do think, Jonathan, sometimes we see sales people who are looking for jobs, and actually they're looking for jobs just because they were just in the wrong place. You know, they worked at big company X, they sold to manufacture for 20 years and then they had to go and sell to legal or whatever. You know, they were never going to work. And I think the guys have got it exactly right about that. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? If I've got three runners, I've got one that is not far off Boston Marathon qualifying time. Yeah. I've got one that's a four-hour marathon runner and is keen. And I've got one that's just fat and is a five-hour finisher. Yeah. Who am I going to get the most improvement out of? Exactly. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it out of bloke number two, aren't I? 
I'm going to knock if I'm if he's up for it and he's prepared to be coached. You're going to you could knock half an hour off his time. Do you know I was talking to one of my mates last night? Bumped into him in the street about running. He said I saw you running the other morning because I run 10k a couple of times a week. Got talking about it. He said no, I did the London Marathon. I said oh really? What do you do the London Marathon? He said oh three hours one minute. <laughs> said, right okay. <laughs> I think mean, that's fast. Didn't, that's it didn't even look that fast. quick. It doesn't look that fast when you look at him. I've seen him really looks very ungainly. Well, I interviewed um, my mate Danny Williams the other week for the Hard Times podcast, and he's six right. three. When he was a kid, he played rugby for Yorkshire, and he was when he was sixteen, seventeen. He was seventeen stone, right? And uh, he's knocking out marathon speeds at that. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Chapter one, page one six five. Low performance. He says, "Comfort the troubled, give them a chance to prove you wrong." I have said, I just can't see salespeople, sales. Leaders doing that. I think sales leaders just fire them. No, and I, go think nice le- I think it's nice. I think it's nice. It's a nice thought. It's a nice thing to do. It's just not reality, is it? Right, but I don't know. Not this guy who's 10% target, I'm going to give him lots of comfort. Well, how about you fire him and get someone else? <laughs> give us a fee. <laughs> well, not just that, but it's just more pragmatic, isn't it? Let's comfort him. Because when we interviewed him, he told us that he was going to do a great job. And we believed him. And now we've got him here. Let's comfort him and make sure he's all right. Yeah, I think there's some context in that, isn't there? If I'm paying somebody £100,000 and he's nowhere near target and he's 49 years old, I'm not going to go around comforting him. Just jog on. But if, I'm, if I've got a 27-year-old lad on 40K who actually is doing a lot of stuff right, but he's just not quite happening for him, yeah, I'm going to ring him and say, listen, fella, hang Agreed, in yeah. there. Yeah, I agreed. I'm going to ring him. I'm going to say, look, mate, you're doing so much right and I'm going to stand up for him and I'm going to fight for him. But a lot of that is a, a lot of that is about you and I both know we fired plenty of people in our careers. There are some people where you look isn't it? There are some people where you look at them and just think, he's not doing any of the right things. He's not doing the hard yards. He's not learning and developing bollocks to him. Then you get others where you think, oh, Christ, this poor lad, he's trying so hard. At some point, it'll break from if he keeps working at it. And uh, they're the people that actually you do want to ring up on your way home in the car and say, look, mate, I've been watching you all day today. You've really had a good go at it. Just keep doing it and it'll come. Mm, I agree. And they deserve your support. But that's one common sense, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Page 168, why does resistance happen in the first place? And this is resistance to coaching. (laughs) I'll tell you you why. I'll tell you a story. Go on, then. I know a candidate who works in a company where they have a coach that isn't a member of the leadership team. Is that Alan McPherson? I made that name up. (laughs) Who is brought in externally to coach people. Right. He's quite common, actually, that. He's a sales coach. And the sales team hate him because they think he is a spy. Oh, really? Yes. They think that whatever they tell him in confidence is fed immediately back to the leadership team. So he has absolutely no trust. So he meets with each member of the sales team monthly. Each member of the sales team gives him platitudes and then moves on. And I think a lot of the problem with why people don't want to be coached it's because some people don't want to open up. Now, that's the fault of the leader and the coach. Some people don't want to say, I'm struggling. Some people don't know they're struggling. Some people don't care that they're struggling. 
Well, some people don't care about some people don't care about whether they are good or bad at the job. I agree. Yeah. Some people don't care about the craft, do they? Well, you know, we know so. we, we've got listeners to this show. The listeners to this they're, show care about the craft. Well, they're, they're, they're the they're the converted, aren't they? If yeah. you've got any of the listeners to this show, the regular listeners, and we know most of you, uh, most of them, if you got them in an environment where there was good quality coaching, they'd just soak it up. They'd but certainly actually, be receptive to listen, wouldn't they, for sure? A lot of people don't care. A lot of people just want their big basic salary and they just want to turn up to work. They want their sales leads and then they want to go out, be there or thereabouts targeting and the 130K for getting old rope because they're in the mm-hmm. IT industry and it's how it's always been and they don't know any otherwise. And they don't realize that actually the craft really matters and that, that performing matters. In the same way, some people are quite happy going around the golf course 22 shots over par for the rest of their life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He doesn't say any of those th- things in his book, though. No, but, but they don't really ask, do, do they? How does resistance manifest itself? Procrastination, skimming, avoidance. I think a lot of people would be very resistant to coaching. Correct, yeah. To be but fair. I think that, that, that's not oh, no one's fault. That's often the hallmark of the salesperson is to have a barrier to protect yourself. You know, that's the reality, isn't it? You have to have a barrier to protect yourself from the negativity you're going to get from your cold calls, etc. Yes, I think that's a very good point, Mike, is that the ego... The ego, the ego stops us taking criticism. Nobody wants feedback because we have egos. And the, yeah. it's the ego that keeps us getting out of bed in the morning and making another call to another customer. Correct. Yeah, I said this the other day, you know, the ego is the salesperson's best friend and worst enemy, often, often at times. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know but you've got to have at it. At some point, you've got to get up and do it. And then behaviour too. We're on to chapter eight now, the how. Yeah. So what do you make of what this one? What page are you on? What page are you on? I'm just on chapter eight. I'm, I haven't marked pages. I just made notes. Uh, what did I make of this one? Behaviour to observation, look, listen, and sense. They talk about some of the biases, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, similarity bias. It's very true, isn't it? You know, a lot of people hire in their own image. Yeah, and then therefore work and coach the people who are in their own image. Yeah, and therefore hire people that make the, their own mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then feedback without freaking people out is behaviour for where it starts to get a little bit interesting. They say make feedback an everyday thing, frame the message positively. At no point have they mentioned the poo sandwich in this book. I was disappointed about a lack of poo sandwich. Yeah, I, I think also at no point have they said, listen, you know, salespeople are quite used to getting negative feedback, so why worry about it? You're ever going to give somebody feedback, you know, interview feedback. Right, Johnny, you're unsuccessful. Oh, damn it, why? Because this, 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 this. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. They're fine. They're salespeople. They get negative feedback. They get negative feedback all the time. Why worry about it? Give them the feedback. Well, the job, uh, the job gives you negative feedback all the time. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. The job does. No, we don't want to buy your stuff. No, I've not got um, any budget. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. Is the job it? The job itself gives you a lot of feedback. Yeah. You know, the salespeople. If you're prepared to listen to it. If you get in the fight, you know, the salespeople are in your to negative feedback anyway, so why worry about it? Yeah, it's like a bit like a boxer, isn't it? Boxers know when they're getting negative feedback. You get punched like, in the mouth. You've been a Samaritan and I've been a Samaritan. If if you came to them, a doctor surgery, listen, Johnny, you've got cancer, you're going to die in a week. I think you'd take it better than somebody that hasn't been a Samaritan because you just get used to that type of conversation. Salespeople just get used to negative feedback, so why worry about it? Frame the message positively. Why? What's the point? 
I think some, I think that you work, we talked about this a lot on this show, Mike, you tend to work in market areas that tend to be a little bit more conducive to much more open conversation. Oh, definitely. Yeah. hundred percent. That's why, the, the, that's why we get on. Yeah. And that's why you get on with a lot of your target market sector. You know, you and I both doing quite a lot of work in security at the moment. It, it's just a more honest environment. The other day he went, it's just a more Mike, honest environment. He went, Mike, that candidate CV is shit. I said, what do you mean? He went, <laughs> well, I just don't like it. I said, why? He said, because he's got a stupid picture of all the logos. I'm just not interested. He wasn't being harsh. No, if he just gave you the feedback. From the outside, he thought, God, that's harsh. He wasn't. He was just telling me what he thought. Yeah, people are a bit more straight, whereas, you know, we talked about it earlier. In healthcare, do people feedback like that? No, because the nature of the economics of those companies, they're a bit smaller. You know, if you look at a lot of the companies, for example, in healthcare, they're owned by doctor this and or professor it just, that. It comes from the end user, I think. I and the end have, user never gives feedback like that. The end user never slams the phone down or... They just or, disappear. Oh, I really yeah, like the proposal. I'll give you a call. Well, they don't even do that. They just but hide behind process. But yes, probably. So therefore, those people aren't used to getting real feedback as salespeople. Mm. But, you know, I can sort of, you know, see his book. And, and it's going to be interesting meeting these two because you've got two Vodafone veterans. Me. Yeah, well, I was going to say you've got two Vodafone veterans and a rugby league coach. So actually, none of them have really ever sat and fought on the streets of, I work for a £2 million software company and I battle it out. So you've got to take into account their viewpoint, actually. Well, I suspect, I suspect at Vodafone, they're probably not quite, I don't know, we'll find out, won't we? And in our target market, you know, we talk, again, we talk about this a lot on the show, you and I deliberately go after... Go after cool startup companies. We go after much smaller companies. Well, look at my AI where, company. They're small. Why are they small? Because they've been going five years, but, you know. But that's our target audience. Yeah. And in our target audience, coaching is a very different concept. It is. If, uh, if, a, if anything, a non-existent concept. Yeah, coaching right. is something I think that happens in mature businesses. Well, look at my AI company. They're paying massive money in stock. Why would they want to coach them? I'll coach you. Here's some coaching. Make me loads of make me loads of money, and I, and you can have a really take make a load of money when we sell the business. Yeah, <laughs> there you it, go. Off you go, ski. Oh, and if yeah, you don't exactly. make me lots of money, we'll probably have a really difficult conversation in about six months' time. Exactly. Um, so, any more? Any more on this chapter? No. And then they talk about connect actions. You know, commitment to action, connect actions to goals. I didn't make any notes on chapter nine, final thoughts. Well, it's only got, if I understand, it's only, it's only two and a half pages long. Yeah. And then uh, we sort of get into like biographies of all the people and then that's the end of the book. I, I looked at some of the biographies of all the people. Now they're obviously, you know, they're obviously excellent people. There's just no, you know, you can't. Yeah. And I think say, that's a really interesting use of the word excellent. These are people who have excelled. They've excelled. You know, careers. first one, never heard of her. Nikki Burrell, British Paralympic sailor. I mean, fair play. Next one, John Duxorp. Exactly. Head of customer engagement at Vodafone. Um, Claire Darley, Vice President Digital Go-To-Market Adobe. Paul Devlin, Chief Customer Officer Suse. Yeah, you look through it. They're really, really, really good people, clearly. Just not many of them are that relevant to, to my market. No, and I think what we really have worked out during the course of this book is, and for me, my overwhelming conclusion is, coaching is something that happens in mature companies. Immature companies just don't have... I'm not, I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with that, actually. 
I, I don't know the answer, but I suspect coaching happens where the leader of that company, for whatever reason, believes in coaching and hires a coaching culture. I think it would be very hard to turn a non-coaching culture into a coaching culture, I would have thought. So here's an example. I, I, I spoke to a bloke the other day. He's leaving a big corporate company. He's going to go and work for a small healthcare business of about 65 people mm. where he will be probably one of two salespeople in that business. Mm. And they will report somebody who is not a salesperson. Always dangerous, but yeah. But they will. They will report to the to the geeky, highly intelligent founder who is monumentally bright, but in reality is a geeky technology startup founder. Do you think he's going to provide sales coaching? No, no chance. How no. can I? He can't. He doesn't understand it. All he knows is he doesn't want to do the dirty bit of getting in front of some customers and winning some deals. That's the only thing he knows. So he's hiring people to do that job and solve that problem for him. But that's where you, that's the world you and I predominantly live in, Mike. Mm -hmm. I know, yeah. We don't live in the Fujitsu IBM world where actually – we're the one of five key top right Gartner Magic Quadrant vendors on product Stream X. The division turns over 600 million globally. Uh, we've got 80 salespeople in the division globally. Um, and therefore, we've got what eight leaders. And we can actually say to the leaders, listen, you've got to get more out of those teams. Yeah, You've got to coach, develop, grow those teams. And in those organizations, I think coaching does take place and should take place. And that's my conclusion on the book is actually, if I was at Hewlett Packard or Oracle and I was in the leadership group, I think I'd lap this book up. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying earlier. It suits a, a certain type of, you know, let's get it right. You know, we've not met these people yet, but, you know, one worked for Fujitsu, then Vodafone, one worked for Vodafone. Yeah. They're big commercial, they're from big commercial organisations, so they write it with their frame of reference yeah. as big commercial organisations. And in those organisations, the role of the leader is entirely different, i.e. in a smaller business, the low, low role of a sales leader is much, much, much more multifaceted. And they're involved in so much more of that business. You know, I was talking to a fellow over the weekend. We swapped a few messages. He's a sales leader. He's got a team of two guys working for him and he's still on the tools himself. Bound to be, he, he spent the last four months managing the funding raise because the founders can't do it. Founders are just geeky developers. And the business makes money and it's a great little business, but they need a funding raise now to get to the next stage of scale. And he said 70% of his time has been working on pitching the business for funding. And 30% has been on going after deals and keeping the lights on. Whereas nobody's doing that at Oracle, are they? Yeah, if I'm at Oracle and I've got a team of eight guys, that's all I do all day. What do you give the book out then? Because I think this book is an issue of context rather than content, it's getting a six and a half to seven for me. Okay. Because actually, I think in the right context, I think it was a very, very good book. I think you and I have found it difficult because we contextually have struggled with it. I completely agree with that. 
from my personal frame of reference, you know, it's going to get four. But if you were talking to a leader of an enterprise software, some then, guy at BT, mm, uh, I think more services. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's the software application market. I think the software application market is very different to the comms market. You know, Vodafone, what are they? They're a comms company, really. More, you know, the a pie chart of what they do. Software applications, I, I suspect, is fairly low. You know, w- would I say that? it would suit like an SAP. I wouldn't have thought so. Would it suit BT? Yeah, 100%. If I was the chief exec of BT and I wanted to know about coaching, you should buy it. So when you're sitting in the airport waiting for your plane to get cancelled, that's a good book for you. I think it'd be all right for any enterprise software vendor. Where I don't don't think it will suit would be high growth, young, fast, break things quickly, start up. Yeah, my guy that's selling AI software, it... You know, just that's not an applicable. If he said, "Have you got a book to recommend?" You'd say, "No, I'd recommend Keith Rosen's book because it's a manual." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Whereas if a, if a, some, a guy rang me today who works at Oracle and he's got a team of eight and he's saying, "Oh, I've really got to get squeeze some extra juice out of this team," I'd say that's a good book. You'll enjoy so, that. So, what about a wider question then? Do you believe in coaching? In context, yes. But you and I are so used to. And in both our own business and in the world you and I live in by deliberate choice, I don't believe A, much of it happens, and B, I don't believe it's that applicable to a lot of the clients we deal with. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think coaching is wasted, actually, in a, in a, in a lot of the environments that, that we operate in. I think the salespeople will either want to do it or don't. And the very, very best salespeople I've ever come across will pay somebody, go on a two-day course, they'll pay it out of their own bank, book two days all day and go and do it. But those people are you know, a very, very small handful of the people that we get involved with. And you can spot it. Well, it's a matter of desire, isn't it? Last yeah, night, what, what, what did I do last night? I had a golf lesson at 5.30 for half an hour. What did I do after my golf lesson, Mike? I don't know. I, went to I spent two hours by the practice green working on what I'd learned. Because I want to. I don't want to be shit at golf. I want to be good at it. How many salespeople would have a half hour coaching session and then spend two hours working on something? I agree, yeah. So it's, agree, for me, that. coaching is a matter of desire on the part of the individual. How badly do you want it? If you want it badly enough, you'll go out and get a coach anyway. I agree, yeah, 100%. So fa- if you isn't incumbent on the company, is my point. If you want it badly enough... You'll get up on Saturday morning before your family have woken up and you'll sit down and read a sales book and think about it and make notes on it. Yeah, correct. Absolutely agree. That's what happens if you want it badly enough. If you don't, you won't. Yeah. So it's, a, it's not a complicated equation. So for me, my conclusion is, one, coaching is a matter of organizational context. And two, it's a matter of desire on behalf of the salesperson and the team and the culture within the team. I don't think it is the organization. I think it's the individuals you hire, people who want to win. People for whom defeat is not an option. Yeah, agreed. They're the ones you can coach. The ones that will say to you, what do I have to do to win? Talk me through it. Whatever it is. If I've got to jump off that wall, right. Just just tell me what I've got to do. They're the ones that are coachable, aren't they? Yes. But I don't think most, uh, uh, from 20 years in sales recruitment, I don't think many people really want that. Completely agree. I think very few people want it. Yeah. 
And at that, we will bid you goodbye because we've got to get ready for the big interview with the authors. Yes, absolutely. See ya.